0: Welcome to the Financial Life Podcast with me, Ben Roble. This is episode 30. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, let me emphasize that I don't know you and you don't know me, so I'm not recommending anything in this episode. Instead, my goal is to ensure that you can make decisions in your financial life with as much context as possible. Today, we continue our exploration of the concept of source of wealth, Delving into the second category of three, partnership interests. Although many of their names are less familiar to us, partnerships are a cornerstone of the business world. In 2021, the IRS recorded four and a half million partnership tax filings. Their versatility ensures that they can be found across many industries, including law, medicine, finance, consulting, and retail, among others. At their most basic level, partnerships are formed when two or more entities, in our case, people, come together to pursue shared objectives and share in the outcomes. From an economic perspective, partnerships are an income play. That is, their partner's ultimate goal is to become an equity partner who derives income from the distribution of partnership profits. It's worth mentioning that we are really only talking about general partners here. These are people within the partnership who may or may not be equity partners, but who have some influence over the partnership's direction. There are usually many people involved in partnerships who are not partners of any kind. Whether someone is an equity partner or a salaried partner who makes a fixed salary and performance-based bonus, the objective is income. In fact, a career like this looks a lot like a bond a long series of relatively predictable cash flows. It may not be as certain as a bond issued by the government, but it pays a more attractive yield. Now, if your primary source of wealth is a long and predictable series of cash flows, it can support more risk in adjacent investments. What does this mean specifically? Well, first, lenders are almost always willing to lend against a long stream of cash flows. This means that qualifying for income-based loans like mortgages is much easier to do. Importantly, many partnerships require a capital contribution or buy-in by ascendant equity partners. And this is obviously easier to accomplish when there is the promise of a lot of income on the other side of the loan. As a real-world example, Citigroup and J.P. Morgan both have large private banking operations focused on law firm partners. A key product offering for this business to succeed is a partnership lending program to ascending partners. While these loans are ultimately backed by the law firm itself, they are made to the partners to finance the required capital contribution at graduation. Second, if someone's primary source of wealth is a bond, then it makes sense that other investments can be riskier. This could be as simple as a higher allocation to stocks, but could also include less liquid options like direct real estate and private equity. This characteristic should highlight one reason that basing someone's investment strategy on his or her age is fundamentally flawed. In fact, even within the world of partnerships, there are large differences. Consider a partner at a law firm and a partner at a venture capital fund. The partner at the law firm is usually better insulated from broad economic trends. Even during a downturn in the economy, there are legal issues to address. And even if this person has riskier investments that lose value, the primary source of wealth can remain largely intact. Alternatively, a venture capital fund is inherently risky. Not only do partners generally have to buy in, but they are also usually enthusiastic investors in their own funds. Not only do partners join funds in which they have a lot of confidence, but they are also usually offered preferred and tax-efficient investment terms for the funds that they raise, I saw many instances of this when I worked in private banking where these kinds of opportunities led investment partners to take on as much debt as they could so that they could maximize these investments. As always, debt magnifies results, whether they are good or bad. It should be clear that while partners are therefore pursuing attractive distributions from the partnerships that they join, the profits that fund those distributions come from vastly different sources. To close this discussion, let's talk quickly about selling partnership interests, the bullet at the end of the bond. These kinds of transactions are governed by the partnership agreement that forms the organization. Liquidating an interest during retirement or when exiting the partnership for another reason requires careful planning because it can have significant tax implications depending on the type of partnership and the partner's circumstances and can impact the firm's financial health. The number of buyers for such an interest can be limited, and the partnership itself usually has the right of first refusal, if not the absolute power to approve any new partners and therefore buyers for an existing stake. The pursuit of partnership distributions feels more stable than a source of wealth based on an equity holding. On the other hand, these distributions are based on firm profits, so they may look like more stable forms of income, but they can be highly variable. Consider how many hedge funds, which are generally arranged as partnerships, have made a bad investment or two and collapsed on themselves within months or even weeks. Up next, general wealth. Thanks for listening. I hope that this is helpful context for you and your financial life.